Well, hi, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. I'm Chris Taylor, and I'm glad you're listening in today. If this is your first time listening, I'd love to chat with you. So send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. Last week, we started a new series called Necessary Sins. It sounds heretical, but we all have some sins that we rationalize away. Sins we believe that don't hurt anybody and are actually necessary in daily life. Today, we're looking at anger. Everyone deals with or has dealt with anger. And you might think that this doesn't fit with our Necessary Sin series because the Bible doesn't speak about anger as a sin. But we do often sin in our anger, and that's what we'll be discussing today. Speaking about the necessary sin of anger, here's our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. You guys ready? A couple of questions I'm going to ask you. Raise your hands if you're game. How many of you guys know somebody with anger issues? Oh, come on, the rest of you are liars. Anybody think of you when I ask that question? There are people who put me on that list, but there were times when I'm way worse than I am now. How many of you guys would admit that you've got anger issues? How many of you guys think it's a big deal? Let me tell you guys, my suspicion is that you've been hurt by somebody. Someone has said words to you out of anger, and it hurt you badly, right? My suspicion is that some of you guys wear scars, maybe even physical scars, from someone who was out of control with anger issues. Have you hurt somebody? Have you spoken words that you regret, that you wish you could take back because you were mad? Ever done anything out of anger that you wish you could undo? Have you ever driven anybody away from God because of your anger? Because sometimes people do that. We're doing this little series we're calling Necessary Sins. I mean, there are some sins that nearly everybody, everybody but a psychopath perhaps, would call evil. Always wrong. Rape, always evil. Murder, always wrong. Abusing a child, always wrong. Never right. But there are other sins we consider more respectable. Sometimes we even think they're necessary. At least they're insignificant and little. Is lying always wrong? What if you're just telling a joke? Or what if you're just trying to shade the truth to protect somebody? Or what if it's just a little white lie and it doesn't really hurt anything? Is that okay? What about anger? In fact, if you read the Bible, the Bible actually permits anger, right? We're going to look at those verses. But there are other times when the Bible brands anger as a powerful, powerful sin. So when does it cross the line? We're going to look at that today. Next week, it's going to be on gossip. Vern is our connections minister. He's going to come and talk about gossip, which I think is one of the sins most excused by Christians. We are really good at it, and we rarely see it as a sin. And then there's lust, necessary sin. We live in a culture where lust is everywhere, and it is not just ubiquitous. It is defended. It is celebrated. And if you push back against it, you're mocked as a quaint old prude, right? So what do you think? Necessary sins, lying, anger, gossip, lust. Can we make a trace, a case that they're just at least trivial, insignificant, and maybe even sometimes necessary? If you're a Jesus follower, what would he think? Because what God thinks about these things is way more important than what we think, isn't it? It's way more important than what they think. God think about these things. Does he consider them sometimes insignificant or even necessary in this broken world that we live in? 
Now we're kind of wrapping this series around two incredibly powerful verses from the book of Psalms. David <coughs> excuse me, wrote these words. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, which is something you don't have to say to God, right? There's nothing about you that God doesn't know. You've never thought a thought, said a word, done a thing that God doesn't already know. But David just wants to be an open book. He doesn't want to hide anything from God. He says, God, I want you to know. I want you to search. I want to be an open book. In fact, not only do I want you to know, I want you to point out anything in me that does offend you. Which is weird. God, don't just convict me about the things that I know are bad inside of me, but show me those things that I think are okay, and you don't. You know why? Because I want you to lead me down a path of everlasting life, because that is, it, is what is, is at stake. This is important stuff. So last week I asked you to read these verses with me. See if you could pray them as a prayer yourself. Why don't you do it again today? Ready? Out loud. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now that is a courageous prayer. Lying, gossip, lust, those are kind of harder to defend, I think, but anger, it's kind of the outlier of the group, isn't it? Because we know that sometimes anger is neutral. In fact, sometimes anger is even good. We know that. Sometimes it is necessary, and sometimes anger is not sin. I mean, the Apostle Paul puts it very plainly. Here it is in the NIV. In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, it's there, but don't sin. If you were to translate it literally from the Greek, word for word, it would read like this. Be angry, and that's an imperative. Do it. Don't sin. That's an imperative too. Be angry. Don't sin. James, the brother of Jesus, puts it just a little bit differently. Although it's similar, he says, you must all, all of you, need to be quick to listen. That would be an interesting one. Slow to speak, which is hard for us. And all of you must be slow to get angry, which kind of sounds like there are times it's okay to be angry as long as you're not a hot-headed, quick-tempered, volatile jerk, right? Sometimes anger is neutral. Sometimes it is necessary. And yet, some of the finest Christian teachers in the past listed it as one of the seven deadly sins. One of the seven deadly sins. One of the capital vices. One of the worst and even though the Apostle Paul told us, be angry but don't sin, just five verses later he tells us this, get rid of all of it. Get rid of all of your bitterness, all of your rage, all of your anger. He says essentially the same thing in Colossians 3. Be angry and don't sin, but really, get rid of it. Eradicate it. So which is it? Be angry and sin not, or get rid of all the bitterness, the anger, and the rage? Well, maybe it depends on why it's there, and maybe it depends on what you do with it. Maybe it depends. Maybe it depends on whether you control it or whether it controls you. Let me make it more personal, okay? I'm going to give you three different strategies for controlling your anger. See if one of them describes you. Maybe you're not in these, but many of you will be. How do you manage your anger? Some people are spewers, right? I love that word. You're a spewer, which means... You like to get it out loudly and quickly, right? 
You like to express it, erupt, explode. And you're going to defend it by saying that a person has got to vent. You've got to vent. Sometimes when you vent, you feel better and everybody around you feels worse. Right? That's what happens a lot of times when people vent. You come out lighter and they all feel crushed. Collateral damage. You know, spewing can be quite evil. Here's the apostle, not the apostle, actually it was King Solomon, one time considered the wisest man in the world. And here's what he said. There's the next slide. Here it is. Fools, fools vent their anger. Huh. The wise quietly hold it back. What do you think? Still apply to us, Jesus followers? Here's something else he said. I don't think anybody's going to push back on this one. Short-tempered people do stupid things. No kidding. You ever say something or do something stupid because you were mad? So are any of you guys spewers? Uh, would, would those who know you think that you are a spewer? Does God think you're a spewer? I was talking with Randy about this stuff last week, and Randy said, I'm a spewer. And I said, I know. <laughs> there are spewers and there are stewers. That's the next one. Isn't that cute? Spewers and stewers. You've got to say that. That's neat. I didn't make it up. I stole it. Stewers don't vent it. They suppress it. They push it down. They tell you they're fine, right? And they're not. You ever do that? Here's what's funny. Sometimes stewards do have knockdown, drag out fights, but it's in their head. They go over the argument over and over and over again in their heads. And they think about what they could have done, what they could have said, what they should have done, what they should have said. Sometimes it just messes them up inside. You keep stewing on your anger, and it is going to mess you up inside. You're going to lose sleep. You're going to get depressed. It's going to gradually morph into bitterness. And when bitterness gets rooted inside of you, it does bad things inside of you. And then in a plethora of different ways, it's going to come out. And you're going to hurt people. There's one other strategy, and I don't know if this is the best description of it. Some of us control our anger, and they would call us passive aggressives, which I think is kind of a hybrid between a spewer and a stewer. And I'm calling it us because I think I got a lot of this in me. We don't get loud. We get mean. We don't vent. That would be uncivilized. We get even. I was sitting across a desk from one of the most perceptive men I've ever known in my life, and he looked at me, and he just says, Steve... You're sneaky mean, aren't you? He flat out tore off my mask and threw it in the toilet. He uh, forced me to look at myself way more honestly than I have been accustomed to. How do you manage your anger? How do you control it? You ever thought about it? In your control of your anger, have you ever seen it morph into sin? Because that's the problem, isn't it? You can be angry and not sin. But in our anger, way too often we cross the line. Are you willing to admit that? Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Do you see it in there? Point out anything in me that offends you, God. Is this describing me? Because I want you to lead me down a path of everlasting life. Well, maybe controlling my anger in a God-honoring way starts by recognizing, admitting where it comes from. Where's your anger come from? I was reading one guy, and first I pushed back on him a little bit, and then I thought maybe he's onto something. Here's what he said. He said, guilt. You feel guilt 
when you owe somebody. I hurt you, I owe you, I feel guilty. I hurt you, I owe God, I feel guilty. That's guilt. I owe you. Anger, on the other hand, is you owe me. You owe me. At its root, we get angry because we didn't get what we wanted. You didn't give me the love I wanted. Makes me mad. You didn't give me the respect I wanted. Makes me mad. You didn't give me the raise I wanted, the attention I wanted, the marriage I wanted, the childhood I wanted, the money I wanted, the car I wanted, the shoes I wanted, whatever. And anger is the outcome. I want justice. That wasn't just. Makes me mad. I want people treated with respect. You didn't treat her with respect. I'm mad at you. I want people to bend their knees to God. He's hell-bent on dishonoring God. Makes me mad. Anger isn't always bad, guys. Sometimes it is, but not always. The question is, what are you going to do with it? What do you do next? What we oftentimes do is shift into the payback mode. It's time to retaliate. You didn't give me what I wanted. You didn't do what I wanted, what I needed, what I deserve. So you owe me. You owe me. You either give me back what you owe me or I'm going to pay you back. Sometimes with just a little bit extra to teach you a lesson. If you refuse to give me what I want, what I deserve, I'll give it back somehow. Maybe I'll yell at you for a while. Maybe I'll give you the silent treatment. Maybe I'll do back to you what you did to me, plus a little just to teach you that lesson. Or maybe I'll just out you. I'll tell others what you did to shame you because you made me mad. Payback. Retaliation. It's fair, isn't it? Wouldn't be right to let it go. If I don't correct you, you're going to do it again. If I don't correct you, you're going to do it to somebody else. You're going to have to be corrected. You owe me. Sometimes here's what anger does. Sometimes it just puts those roots way down deep. And you start retaliating indiscriminately. He hurt me. He owes me. I'm going to make you pay. You ever done that? Got mad at work, went home and kicked the dog. Kids made you mad, yell at the wife. Anger with myself, take it out of my friends. Those people around you are thinking... You get mad at me. I didn't do it to you. And if you let it go long enough and deep enough, they can't pay you back anymore. You won't let them. Have you ever been so angry with someone that no matter what they did, they couldn't please you? They couldn't make it right? You've already decided that whatever they do is not going to be enough. They will not make it right. You will not let it go. And by that time, you have chosen to love your anger more than you have chosen to love the people in your life. And by that time, you have chosen to love your anger more than you love your God. Right? We've got our excuses. I mean, it's easy to excuse anger. We've all got our reasons. We've got our stories. If you knew my story, if you knew what they did to me, you'd understand. If they had done to you what they did to me, you'd be feeling exactly what I'm feeling, maybe even worse. My anger is rational. My anger is right. My anger is necessary. I convince myself. And if you only knew, you'd understand. And you'd agree with me, right? 
sometimes uncontrolled anger, God dishonoring anger, unleashes this trail of destruction. It's incredible what it can cause. Have you ever said those things in your anger that you wish you could take back because you know you hurt somebody? But you can't pull it back. It's been said. Have you ever done something? And I've done those things, you know, especially when I was younger. I've had to patch a couple of walls because <laughs> I got mad and put a fist through them. Stupid as a brick. And here's what's tragic. This trail of destruction caused by anger tends to sweep over those that are closest to us, people that we really do want to love and protect. We make them pay for what we think we are owed. And that's awful. So, what do you do? What's your fix? Is there a God-honoring fix? Can you be angry and not sin? How do you pull it off? A lot of places I could go, some powerfully good resources for Jesus followers, but I want to settle in on a few verses that were written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul is worth listening to. You know why? Paul is not writing from some ivory tower about anger. He's writing from prison, right? And he's not in prison because he stole something or because he hurt somebody. He's in prison because he keeps preaching Jesus and it made people mad. And people have hounded him and they've mocked him and they've beaten him and they've stoned him and they have spread lies about him and eventually they're going to kill him. So when the Apostle Paul talks about handling your anger in a God-honoring way, he deserves a hearing. He's been there and done that and we believe that God teaches us through him. So Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is called a prison letter because he's writing it from prison. And I'm going to start with verse 25. I'm going to read the whole unit, even though not all of it applies to anger, just to put it in its context, and then we're going to go back and pick up some of the pieces of it. Okay? In fact, let's just do it this way. Why don't you stand up as we read the word of God out of respect? Okay? Here's what Paul says. Stop telling lies. Let's tell our neighbors the truth because we're all parts of the same body. That was last week, all right? And then he goes on to this week's theme. Don't sin by letting anger control you. And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for that actually gives a foothold to the devil. And then he says, if you're a thief, stop it. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to those who are in need. Don't take from them. And don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. A little bit more. Don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. He's inside of you. Don't sorrow the Holy Spirit of God by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of resurrection. So honor him with your life. And then here he gets back to it. Ready? Get rid of all bitterness all rage and all anger, your harsh words and your slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, because all that stuff is connected. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, and here's the coup de grace right there. Forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Pretty amazing stuff, and it couldn't be seated if you would. Be angry. Paul says, don't sin. Be angry. There are times when people do owe you. There are times when you do not get what you deserve. You deserve better. 
Anger isn't always wrong. It's what you do with it. In fact, I think there are times when a person ought to get angry. It's called righteous anger. If you don't get angry when you see a person abused, when you see a kid bullied, when you hear a friend slandered, what's wrong with you? If you don't get angry when you see a child, maybe your child, heading down a path of self-destruction, what's wrong with you? God gets angry. God's people should too. And if it is a righteous anger, it's not enough just to pray about it. If God gives you the opportunity and the ability to do something about it, do it. But I don't want to focus on righteous anger. I want to focus on the -the run-of-the-mill anger. I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get what I deserved. Be angry. Don't sin. Be angry, unless you're just being a self-centered jerk, then shame on you. Be angry, but don't sin. Now, if you're listening closely, you're going to recognize that Paul, who had every right to be angry, is challenging a notion that is accepted by so many people in our world. Have you ever heard this line or ever used this line? I can't help it. He made me mad. I can't help it. She made me mad. I can't help myself. It's just the way I am. This is the way God made me. It's his fault. I can't help it. You can't control an emotion, can you? Can't help the way you feel. You know what the technical word is for all that stuff? It's that P word, poppycock. You can. And God can help you. You know why I know that? Because he's God. Be angry. Don't sin. You can control what comes next. You can determine whether you are going to control your anger or whether your anger is going to control you. You know why? Because that's how God made you. That's how he made all of us. He gives us the ability to control what comes next. You were made in the image of God, which means you do not have to follow your feelings. You're not an animal. You're in the image of God. And not only that, guys... God won't tell you to do something he won't help you do. You can, every one of us can, be angry and not sin. Otherwise, God wouldn't tell us so. And then Paul says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, which is huge. Don't let anger take root, because it's going to. Don't just simmer. Don't just stew. That's our bent. That's what I tend to do until I remind myself that people are supposed to matter more to me than my anger and that God is supposed to matter more to me than my anger. Because here's what happens, and, and Paul, Paul says this, and he would know. He says, anger actually gives a foothold to the, to the devil inside of you. Literally, he says, your anger gives the devil a place inside of you. It's kind of like you're giving him the guest room of your house and you're inviting him in and when he's in, he's going to corrupt you. He's going to corrupt your relationships. He's going to use your anger to start nudging you away from God. He uses your anger as a tool. He'll use it as a tool to mess you up, to mess up the people you love and to mess up your life with God. So we have to decide what matters more, payback, retaliation, or peace with God. That's what's at stake. Your choice.
skipping down four verses to where he gets back to our topic. He says, therefore, get rid of all, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. And these three are linked because when rage and anger aren't challenged, they turn into bitterness, right? That's what they do inside of us. And when it turns into bitterness, it's like a cancer that's inside of us, stealing joy and stealing peace. You've seen it happen in others, and you've seen it happen in you. So Paul says, get rid of it. Eliminate it. All of it. In fact, in the Greek, sometimes what they would do, they didn't have a specific way that they would put words in order in a sentence. So sometimes they'd take the very most important word, and they would stick it first. Okay? And if you were to read this sentence in the Greek, literally it says, all bitterness, all rage, all anger, get rid of it. All of it, get rid of it, it says. Because if you don't, it's too dangerous. Which is why those great Christian teachers in the past listed as one of the seven deadly sins, mortal sins, capital sins. James, the brother of Jesus, makes the same point, but a little bit differently. He says, all of you, he puts that all first again, all of you, no exceptions, all of you must be quick to listen, which is hard for us because we want to be quick to speak. Slow to speak, which is really hard for us, bite your tongue. And slow to get angry. All of us. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Because your short temper will undermine your Jesus following. You think so? James did. I think God does. And I think those who are spewers need to get stuck on this verse. If you're a spewer, you need to memorize this one and roll it around in your mouth a little bit. James says, bite your tongue, take a deep breath, count to ten if you have to. Get it under control before you say something stupid because it's coming. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, or you're going to be stupid, right? Back to the Apostle Paul. Paul says, all of it, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and then he goes on. Also, he says, get rid of your slander, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, because all that stuff is linked. It's all connected. These are the places when we go, where we go, when we don't rid ourselves of this stuff to the harsh words, the slander, and other kinds of evil behavior. In fact, when you see that stuff coming out, that should be a clue to us that we've crossed the line, right? When you recognize these things in yourself, you know you've crossed the line. Randy and I were talking about this last week trying to come up with a list of the warning signs. How do you know when your anger has turned into sin? That was the question we were discussing. How do you know when your anger is controlling you instead of you controlling it? How do you know when Satan gets a foothold inside of you? And there are a couple of things that are just no-brainers. You know you cross the line when you start dissing and hurting and accusing people that you're supposed to love as a Jesus follower. When these things start coming out. You know that you've crossed the line when you start pushing God away. Because here's what happens. Sometimes in your bitterness, you don't like reading stuff like forgive each other, right? Get rid of all anger and bitterness. And you start pushing God further and further away. When you start pushing God away, you know that you've crossed the line. You want your anger more than you want peace with God. And you know your anger is out of control when you lose self-control. It's one of the things God tells you to exercise. Be angry. Don't sin. 
Don't sin, which means you can be angry without sinning because you were made in the image of God and you don't have to follow your heart. You can choose to do life his way instead of the way that you feel, right? When your anger controls you, you've crossed the line. See, too often we act like we're victims. We think we're victims. He made me mad. She made me mad. Appropriate response is wuss, right? How'd you do that? You act like you're a victim, like you're powerless at the mercy of the one who wronged you. And with that line, we justify, we excuse the choices we make to retaliate, to get payback. You are not a victim. Whatever they do to you, they don't own you. Whatever they do to you, they cannot control your heart. They can't make you sin back because we are children of God, right? And then Paul goes on to the coup de grace. <laughs> Instead, be kind to each other. It's hard. Be tender-hearted. We can make it work. But then he says this. Forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. And then he has to go and say this. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And it's hard, but that's the antidote God's antidote to anger. Leave payback to God. Let him settle the scores. He's good at it. We're not. Let God play God, not us, because he's good at it. We're not. You know what forgiveness is? I don't have time to unpack much of it. If you're struggling to forgive, and a lot of you guys are, you need to deal with it. And there's an amazing resource that I've probably given out dozens of this book. I encourage people to read it. It's called The Art of Forgiving. Everything I know about forgiving comes out of that book by Lewis Smedes. And if you're struggling with this, I'd encourage you to get it or come talk to me and I'll get you a copy. All right? But at the least, forgiving means this. You tear up the IOU. You owe me, tear it up. I'm going to cancel the debt. And I know whoever hurt me still owes me, but I'm going to let God deal with that. I'm not going to take that upon myself. I'm not going to be enslaved. I'm not going to be enchained by my anger. Listen, if you refuse to forgive the wrongs they did to you, you will be enslaved. You will be the one who pays. On the other hand, if we cancel the debts that we are owed, we will be the ones set free. Lewis Smedes, the guy who wrote that book, put it like this. He says, when you forgive somebody, you're going to set a prisoner free. And then you're going to discover that the person you freed was you. Until you forgive, they own you. Until you forgive, Satan gets that foothold in you. Until you forgive, you relinquish that peace, that joy. You relinquish that intimacy with God. You've got to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Forgiving one another, which sounds too hard. It really does. Forgiveness, I think, is the toughest thing God asks us to do. But impossible? Paul has to wrap it up by putting in that phrase, which is just convicting. He says, just like, just like, just like God has forgiven us. Listen, guys. God is never going to ask you to forgive more than you have been forgiven. You buy that? You will never forgive more than God has forgiven you. Are you grateful 
that God has forgiven your sins? Do you have a sense of how sinful you are? Are you glad that God doesn't give you what you deserve? Are you glad that God doesn't operate by payback, retaliation? Because every single one of us would be host. Instead, what does he do? He sends his son to die on a cross for my sins. And if I'll accept that sacrifice, I'm completely forgiven. He's great. And he says, just be a little bit like me. And when you do that, you will be set free. Do you buy that? Forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. We're going to come back to that prayer in just a moment. I want you to think about it, guys. Sometimes these are the things that just kind of wreck a life. Anger will wreck a life. Bitterness will wreck a life. It'll steal your joy. It'll steal your peace. He's called us to an abundant life, to rise above, to stand tall as Jesus followers. Are you willing to do it his way? Some of you guys may need some prayer, some help. You know, at the end of this service or even during this Lord's Supper time that's coming up in a minute, Vern's sitting there. I'm going to be sitting right over there. We've got some elders that are close. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. It may be that some of you guys need that help just to get started. You need God part of your life. These are battles that we're not going to win successfully alone. We've got to have his help. If you need to start down this path with Jesus, we'd love to get you started. Come and talk to us during this time, either during this song, during the Lord's Supper time, after the service, track one of us down. Let's pray this prayer together one more time. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Let's pray together. Father, sometimes we just slough off those sins that are in us, not recognizing how they can devastate people and how they can devastate our life with you. Father, I just pray that you'll give us the wisdom the courage to live as children of God. We want to be Jesus followers. We want to discover the freedom, the peace that you came to give us. We want to point others towards you because that's where life is. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.